This is The Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. This is such a fallen world we live in. It's really not the way it's supposed to be. What if we could see each other different? It'd probably change everything. We're all broken people. Don't we all need Jesus? Every moment of our lives. 24, He is the youngest of five children and a native of Nashville. Riley graduated from White's Creek Comprehensive High School, class of 96. He also is the proud owner of operations of Giraboldi, Inc. Riley is a member of the Black Chamber of Commerce. He has experience in business and in ministry. Riley Baxter III heard the call to preach the gospel in 2000 and was licensed and became ordained in 2006. Riley has served many churches in Nashville and surrounding areas as minister of music, media director, and often as youth minister. Lastly, Riley has been certified in mental health and is a published author of the book, My Time with God. And I have a co-host, I'm so happy. Her name is Deborah Lassiter. I finally got that right. I've been calling her Deborah for the longest, and now I got it right. See, I'm I'm a little slow. I told you all that. <laughs> oh, China, you're um, wonderful. Thank, thank you for you, having me. And thank you for being here. So you are the third. I don't know how true the story is, but my mom wanted to name me Eric. Don't think my father cared one way or the other. I'm actually his only son. Uh, my granny is the one that wanted me to be my dad's namesake, so she won. Okay, she she won out. Yeah, yeah, she won. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> well, not too often um, granny gets to win on that, because I have uh, four grandchildren, and I tried every time, and nobody paid me no attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, China's a nice thing. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Riley, do you ever feel like by being the third, are you, do you feel like you can carve out your own sort of what you're doing versus uh, echoing from the past? Does, does that ever play a role for you? Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's essentially how I was raised. Um, I never met my grandfather because he had passed long before I was born. But the way my father raised me, uh, my path was going to be my path and not necessarily his. So I got his work ethic, but everything else is mine. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the last of five children, right? Yes. I'm the only boy. Only boy. And, and I'm, the rest are girls. Mm-hmm. Wow. That I'm, must have been rough. It was, um, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, <laughs> Actually, my, my sisters are essentially my best friends. Um, so by the time I showed up, you know, my parents were a little older. And so they essentially raised me. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad. But they're all my best friends. I see. So so basically, like my situation, I'm the last of seven. But I have sisters like 15 years older than me. I have a niece. She's almost the same age as me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I get that. I thought, like, all you guys were young and they're putting lipstick on you. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 that didn't happen. It was it was balanced. I have um, uh, several guy cousins and I had, like, uh, like older men and they all made sure that I understood uh, manhood. So it balanced all of that other stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like I'm that. The, I'm the youngest of six. Really? And... Yeah, so three girls, three boys, but I really enjoy larger families. So, Riley, I guess I know that you're the only boy, but 
with just having a large family in general, I just feel like it really prepares you for the diversity of life, the way people think. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yes. So the first thing you learn in a family when you show up and there's a bunch of people around is that there's already several different personalities. Yes. And so figuring out how to navigate that and then figuring out who you are. That's the first thing you learn uh, showing up in a situation like that. So it's great. I mean, I, I don't know what my life would be like not having that kind of, I don't know if training is the right word because it was just life, but I don't know what my life would be like without that. I know it creates boundaries. I don't know if I understood boundaries until I was in my family or personalities and sort of body language. If I was the only child, I think I would have missed out on that or or at least I would have had to learn it while I was in school or around, you know, other family. But within the cluster of family, it's like you, you really do learn so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Conflict resolution I, and all that kind of stuff. We learned the whole thing. I'm mm -hmm. sure you did. Five girls. Yeah. <laughs> I love big families. Like, I, I just don't understand how people do it with small families. Like, you get together with everybody and everybody's screaming and laughing. And I, especially with women, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I love it. I do. I love big family. I love my big family. I'm going to get right into asking your questions because okay. I got a lot of questions for you. Okay. Okay. No problem. <laughs> Now, my first question is, what was it like growing up in Nashville as a kid? Nashville uh, was a fun, it still is, but it was a fun place to grow up in. It was a, Nashville was like a, a big city with a small town sort of a mentality. Uh, there used to be, uh, at uh, Centennial Park, there used to be like paddle boats and fairs. Um, the schools were connected to one another from from um, kindergarten to uh, all the way through high school, there was connections. We had like uh, feeder schools and um, the teachers, they all knew one another and the churches would fellowship. And a lot of times everybody knew everybody because we had these great neighborhoods. So Nashville has always been a great place to grow up in. Wow, it sounds amazing. Yeah. I grew, I didn't grow up in this town, but I moved to a little town in Shenandoah, Pennsylvania. And it was like that. Everybody knew everybody. I really like that. That's that's something that is very endearing. And when you go to like big cities and like, because I was raised in New York and nobody talks to anybody. I mean, I've seen people drop on the floor. <laughs> people just step over. It's like nobody cares. But when you get that type of, of mentality and, um, you know, just uh, human beings being human beings, it's great. I know. I, I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Nashville is one of those places where you can meet uh, a total stranger. You can make a friend, even if the total stranger happens to be a, a gangster or a, uh, a not a great person in some people's eyes. You can meet yeah. a, you can meet a new friend. That's the kind of that's the kind of town Nashville is. Wow. And I really love that because I think the whole world should be like that. Don't you? Mm hmm. Absolutely. I, I really do. Yeah. I think we'd be better off. Forget the politics. Forget, you know, your beliefs, you know, because everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got, you know, a side that they pick, left, right, whatever. Absolutely. But if we were just all just human beings and, you know, didn't judge each other and accepted each other for who we are, wouldn't this be a great world? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go out there and try to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, my next question, does living in Nashville mean you like country music? Mm -mm. No, more. <laughs> not at all. Uh-uh. No way. <laughs> like, oh, heck no. <laughs> uh -uh. Uh, I'm, a, um, I'm, a, I'm a musician before I'm anything else. And I'm also a fan of music. So uh -huh. lyrics are great. Compositions are great. So there are certain songs that sort of transcend whatever the genre it's in. But no, ma'am, I'm not I'm not going to say I'm going to whatever the next country show is. That's just that's not going to happen. It, it, it. OK, so my next question is irrelevant. You've never been to the Grand Ole Opry, right? Actually, yes, I've been to what? the I've been to the building uh, because okay. I can't remember who it was. Somebody gifted me some tickets to go see my favorite artist. My favorite artist is um, Harry Connick, Jr. He's my absolute favorite. Yeah, he's great. 
And he was in town and he was performing there. And that's why I went to see him. Right. So you did go. That's awesome. Yes. yes. That's my, that's on my bucket list. I want to go to Grand Ole Opry. I really don't care who's there because I'm very versatile. I love country. I love opera. I love all kinds of music. So Nashville, I definitely want to go there. I it's definitely a great do. building. Great yeah. building, great sound and the whole thing. It's, it's a great spot. Yeah, I have a question on the music because oh, I, I love music as well. I'm sorry, China. I just when no, he's no. talking about oh. music, it's I feel like it's so important today when I think about the way musicians play. I think I wonder if people really hone in on that, that there is a heart posture. I believe every musician needs to have you know, just because you're the musician and maybe you're feeling that you're in the background and there's vocalists there, but there is a way that you can play that honors God versus dishonoring the Lord. Absolutely. And when I think about a drummer or a bass player, you know, playing a line of music, you know, playing a bass line as if you're playing in the club or you're playing for the Lord. And Amen. I just think, you know, Maybe some people don't detect that, but you can tell when I when I look out into and people are praising the Lord, when the music makes you feel like you want to move in a way that is ungodly, I just yeah. feel like it's a way we need to check ourselves. So I don't know, yeah. you have thoughts on that or? Well, before you answer that, James Brown immediately came to my mind because I <laughs> think he, I think he really felt God when he was singing and stuff. Mm -hmm. do, do you disagree or agree? You talking to me or, or anybody? Yeah, Riley. Um, I don't. I'm not sure. I hadn't. I hadn't studied. Uh, I hadn't studied him enough to uh, to even detect that. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but I can say that musicians and anyone uh, who is a creative, we have to make sure that uh, we take responsibility for what we do. Because the arts, particularly music, it penetrates the soul in a way that nothing else can. Um, I can, I can, I can preach a sermon, but I can put the same, the same content in a song, and it'll touch people in a different way. So I can't sort of, um, I can't jump on every impulse. I can't play every song that I think I might want to play. I can't do all of that stuff because honoring God is the is the pride is the priority and i understand how dangerous it can be yes. uh with this thing left unchecked so i totally totally agree with you good question deborah good question that was great i i and you gave a very good answer because really you have in anything we do in life we have to stop and think about what we're doing mm -hmm. and we have to stop and think if we're honoring god or not mm -hmm. so um that's that's that was a great question now, my next question is, what is your company, Jerboldi Incorporated? What's that all about? You started a company, right? Yes, yes. Good question. Um, it's uh, it's Garibaldi um, Incorporated. It is a full-service media company. Um, so, um, photography, um, motion pictures in terms of uh, short films, uh, feature films, um, music videos, uh, whatever anyone needs, that's um, that's what that company does. There's a comment, I mean, that I wanted to make because I always think, you know, for me, spreading the gospel through media, I think is so important. It's a resource that we have that the Lord has given us, just like radio, just like music. You know, the Lord is really giving us a tool it can be used for evil. It can be used for good. And so I really applaud, you know, your company because, you know, a lot of people think, well, no, um, 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 I believe media can be used not in lieu of the Bible, but as an aid, an Definitely. aid to what we're, we're, you know, trying to get people to come to Christ, to understand that the Lord needs to be folded into your life and not checked off on a list. But I really think media is such a gorgeous way to portray that, you know, to get people to think, to really show them the decisions and choices that they're making, but to be able to do that through storytelling. So amen. I amen to what you're what you've accomplished. Yeah, Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, my my next question: When did you realize you believed in God, Baxter? It's a fantastic question. Um, I've believed in him my whole life. 
Um, now, what exactly that meant that I had, I had to grow into that, but I was always I was dropped in an environment where we're believing in the in the most high was that's what we did. So I was that particular thing was nurtured like from the womb. Um, I've always I've always believed in. Um, I remember I didn't always read it, didn't always study it, but I, I typically had a Bible with me. Uh, throughout school, I would um, I would have it in my I would have it in my hands. Sometimes I would open it up, but it was very important to me. I had a briefcase in one hand in high school, I had a briefcase in one hand and a Bible in in the other. So it's been I've been connected to this life my whole life. Wow, that that's that's incredible. Good for you. Now, do you have any children? I, you you're married, right? No, no, ma'am. I am. I am single. In my experience with youth ministry and just in life, there are about nine. There are about nine young people that call me dad, um, oh. and I and I love them as my as my own. Uh, most of them have their own parents, but they also uh, they they also let me in. So yeah, I got about nine of them that, that call me dad. So yeah, I have a so bit you're, of a, you're a that family. special to them. That's what that means. Yes, and they are to me. Yes, yes. I was raised in a family like you, Christ-centered. And, you know, when you come under that umbrella of your parents that are trying to raise a child in the way that they should go, we all sort of, we all know the scripture. And I know I abided by those. I remained in that. So I always had the residue of Christ in my life. I always knew his presence. I understood the presence of the Lord. I don't know if I understood it fully as a child, but I, I'm asking of you that you know, once we grow and we get to adulthood and we come from under that house and we start to go into the world and we're living, there's a difference between what I heard as a child and what remained in me, what stuck with me, what has become a lifestyle in me. And so when I think of that for you um, and, and, and uh, China asking that question, when did you realize you believed in the Lord? We can realize that we believe in the Lord and then whether we want to serve him, whether we want to follow him, whether we want to be entangled with him. And so I guess my question for you is, you know, um, second Timothy two fifteen says study to show thyself approved unto the Lord, a, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When, when did you realize the personal relationship, you know, the obedience and all those things really tapped into you personally. And then all of a sudden, now I'm going to step out. And I heard, I heard the Lord's voice say this, this word is for you. Oh yeah. See, that's, 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 she put it much better than what I did. Go for it. That's a good question. Um, the older I got, I guess I was about somewhere between 14 and 19 is when I, um, the uh, the legitimacy of God and that he's actually real became evident. A lot of the things that I was taught as a child, I didn't know they were scripture. So my, mm -hmm. my people were teaching me things, stuff like um, your gifts will make room for you. Mm -hmm. That was my life long before I knew it was, it was scripture. Uh, the concept of, uh, of giving, the concept of uh, loving people for real, um, and loving yourself for real. All of that stuff happened long before I knew it was in the scriptures. And so um, I guess it was about 18 or 19 when um, it was actually, it was, it, was my, it was my 12th grade year. And I um, decided I wanted to start my first company. It's also the same time I did my first, uh, my first album. I said I wanted to start a company. And what God said was, okay, you can do this. You have my permission to do this. But there's some things I'm going to teach you first. And the stuff I'm going to teach you has nothing to do with business. You're going to learn some stuff about yourself. And you're going to learn some things about me. None of this is going to be easy in the beginning. But you have to know this if you're going to be successful in that. And that's when it all, that's all, that's when it became real for me. It clicked. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think there's, a, you know, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm always interested in the underbelly of things because, we make it, especially today, televangelists, pastors, you know, we're, we're looking at this glamour side of Christianity. And, and, you know, as we were speaking prior to, you know, this interview, that there's suffering, there's a season of maturation that needs to happen. And, you know, it's not, you know, and then I think you hear the call because your life 
is aligned with the Lord, you really do start to desire those things. So thank you for sharing sort of that underbelly, because I think people don't really realize when so, when God calls you in your life, he's still trying to work those puzzle pieces out within you. Yes. And you said so eloquently, I think to myself, Peter was not the rock when he was called. He right. had to grow into that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think because you are Ryler Baxter, the third, you know, you know, you had this legacy that you're growing into. That's this gorgeous foundation for you. And yet the Lord's still carving out your role, your way of life and what he called you specifically to do, which I think is, is beautiful. So that was thank you for sharing that. But isn't um, that isn't that the way it is for everyone? Like yes. everyone that believes in Christ, you know, we all, all like me, for example, I always believed in God. I always had a love for him, an immense love. Like I said, I'd go to church and I would cry, you know, and I didn't know why. And then I realized as I got older, it's because I love God so much, you know, that's why I cried. But I didn't know what was expected of me. I didn't know what he was all about. I didn't know um, I love him. He loves me. I felt, but what does that mean? You know, and when you realize what that means and, and all what God means, everything just falls into place once you realize that, you know, but I'm a firm believer and I didn't start doing this till later in my life. You have to read the Bible because all those answers probably would have been answered, you know, for me earlier, you know, mm. by reading the Bible, I would have got all those answers, you know, that I didn't have. So it kind of inhibited where I was supposed to be, you know, in, in my journey, in my walk. But anyway, that was a great answer. I loved it. I really did. And that was a great, great question, uh, Deborah. That was um, very, very in-depth. And that's a good thing because I think, like you said, people want to know this. You know, people want to know because there's somebody might be out there that has faith, but doesn't know what it means. So I like that you clarified that there. Thank you. Well. Thinking it's important that people that come to the Lord, there has to be a reckoning within them that says, God is my portion. He's my inheritance. It's not what we're going. It's not Lord, just bless what it is that, that I want for my life. What do you want? And, and actually, do I understand that what you want is better than what I want? And I think there's a journey that goes into that. So with that being said, Riley, was it hard getting ordained? What's the process for that? Um, actually, it was uh, simple. It, I actually was up uh, for ordination twice at two different uh, at two different ministries. The first time, the, the the process itself was really simple. You just learn and memorize questions and answers, and they'll you know they'll sit you in front of some people, and you just they'll ask you the questions and you answer them. The first time, it wasn't challenging. Um, all that happened was. It's what do you never mean the first time? The first time was I was serving at a ministry. I had served for a few years, and the policy of the pastor was to, uh, once you accepted your call and did your trial sermon and all that, that was a period of a couple of years of just doing service and just learning and all of that kind of stuff. And then the ordination process would have would start. Well, it was my turn, and I had my questions, and I had uh, my answers, and I'm ready to go, but I'm a, I study. And if something doesn't feel or seem right, I'm going to ask some questions about it. Yeah, and so that was, a, that was a couple of questions that the questions made sense, but the answers did not. Mm. And so I talked to the pastor and I said, uh, essentially, pastor, there is no real expectation for me to answer these questions this way, right? Because this is not, this is not great. This is not good. It's not even true. And so uh, I did not get ordained in that situation. Um, I did. It was a it was a kind of a go along to get along kind of thing. Just get your way in and you'll be all right. And I just can't. I can't do that. It's a, it's a moral issue. For me. Amen. Good for you. Yeah. And that's the first lesson that I learned in ministry for real is that there's a there's a vast difference between whatever is true and whatever is accepted. Mm. There's a there's a huge difference. And so who are you going to be in this role? 
that was essentially a true, real or an ordination from God for me was showing me this particular lesson. Who are you going to be moving forward? Preaching, pastoring and all that. But who's going to be the person that's going to function in this? That's the first thing I learned. The second time I was up for ordination, it really wasn't a problem. I learned the I learned all the questions. I got all the answers together. We had the the meeting and, you know, we just went through it because I studied. So some, so I've never been a hard uh, test taking is not really a problem for me because I study the information and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pass the test. I want the information. I want to learn what the information is. And so no, that wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all. Amen. 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 That's awesome. I think a lot of people are so we're, we're in a, a culture and in a world where we want to pass the test. So we get crazy about that. You want to go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. But in Christianity, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not about a test. We're trying to learn. We're trying to learn so that we can help people. That's the goal. So we can save souls. So we can, so we can, you know, bring people to Christ. And I just think this test taking sort of mentality is like, I'm just going to learn the information enough to pass the test. And then after the information is gone, you know, and it's a disservice. It's a disservice, you know. Um, I think the hard posture, we have to go into it right. So I applaud you. I do have a question, a follow-up question for what you just now said, because I think it's it's really important to distinct that. So I love the word of God. So I'm always going to use something in there to kind of preface what I what my question is. Amen. But a lot of times we're we struggle because we're like, Lord, I know I heard you. You said your sheep hear my voice. I know I heard you. You sent me this direction. So I'm speaking, let's just say I'm an Israelite. You got me out of Egypt. But you brought me to the Red Sea. Yeah. I, I, I know you brought me here. You you yeah. had Moses lead us here, but you led me to a dead end. You led me to a dry place. You mm-hmm. led me to unemployment. You led me to a divorce. You mm-hmm. led me through mental illness. Yeah. Right. This can't be the end. Right. And yet I know I heard your voice and you led me here. So did you feel that when in your first ordination that wait a second here, I got to this place. I studied. I studied to show myself approved. I can rightly divide the word of truth. Mm-hmm. And yet, is this a test? Is this God dangling a carrot? I think we have to, I feel like I want to ask you that question. Where mm-hmm. What yeah. feelings did you have? It was, um, great. Great it was challenging at first. Because at the time, the pastor I was serving with, um, we had a pretty, pretty great relationship to where we could actually talk openly about some stuff. And so um, it was it was a bit challenging to to encounter that. But the but one of the things that we have to learn and understand and people have to be told this early on is you're you. But when you're dealing with the institution, talking about generations worth of worth of stuff, we're talking about generations worth of things. And so what we have to understand is if you're going to go down this road, you're going to follow this path, you're going to do that, then. This is what you got to do, and this is what comes along with it. So for a while, it was confusing. For a while, it was like, I know I'm not doing this wrong. I know, I know this is, <laughs> I know I'm handling this the right way. Why am I not getting the response, or why is this not going the way that I that I thought it should go? And uh, what I learned is this has nothing to do with me. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everybody alive is God's gift or God's answer to somebody's prayer. That being the case, your path is dictated by that. And in order to be whatever that gift is and to be received by whomever, whatever it is, that's why the path goes the way that it goes. That's why you have to learn the things you gotta learn. That's why you gotta be qualified in certain areas. So it uh, it took a while for me to sort of get past that and sort of understand it. But yeah, it was, it was challenging at first. It was, but but we we kept well, we kept moving. Well, I know for a fact that for me, when God has said things, you got to do this. I'm one of those people, you know. God is looking down. He's like, oh man, she's so tough. Like she's not even listening when I'm telling her. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, no, I don't think I should do that. And and then I wouldn't do it. And then I would see the result, the ripple effect from that. 
-hmm. So I learned, you know, that listen to what God is telling you. Go where he's telling you to go. Do what he's telling you to do. Say what he, he wants you to say. And I, I, that is so great that you understood that. And, and do you think that's because you came up in a religious family and you got all those teachings? Or why do you think you immediately realized what God wanted you to do? Well, in terms of uh, being called to preach, I have been a servant already as minister of music and some other things. Um, but all that happened was that was about a two week period where th- some other things that happened. And then for about two weeks, kept hearing this audible voice. You have to do what you've been called to do. You have to do what God has told you. to do. Now, here's the, here's the truth. I knew what it was. But my prayer was that it was actually something else. This, this went on for two weeks. And so one night on a on a Tuesday night before I went to sleep. I did not ask. I told God, make it clear. What is it that you want me to do? Because I'm tired of being unsure. The truth was I wanted him to tell me it's something else. So when I went to sleep, I woke up the next morning. It was 410, 14 a.m. And all that happened is that I woke up. There was the room didn't turn a different color. I didn't see God's ankle. Nothing happened. I just I just woke up and everything was crystal crystal clear about the path. And that's how it started. Now, I, I'm convinced that um, I'm a product of a village. And so my my family foundation, that support system has always been great. Every teacher I've had from kindergarten all the way through high school, they always encouraged us to think things through. So that that whole critical thinking thing has always been a part of my life. So I believe it's all of that stuff I was able to handle that particular that particular moment. Amen. And honor God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is a hot topic. So I just think that, you know, I appreciate, you know, Riley, your thoughts and, and really being transparent with us because I really think it's going to help people with how you arrived with where you've arrived. You know, right. not you know, not focusing on the glitz and the glam, but I think the sweet isn't as sweet without the bitter. It just isn't. Um, I do believe Holy Spirit in orders our environment. And as you were talking, I don't know, Jacob came into my mind and I don't know if this resonates with you, but I think in everyone's walk, aside from the group activities or, the, or, or, or that we are in this couple society, I believe there's a Jacob moment in everyone's life where you have to wrestle with the Lord and your hip gets broken. Right. And it comes to that point where it's like you surrender while you confront what's confronting you. Mm-hmm. And, and you said by, you know, with honesty, you said, I thought it was something else. I wanted it to be something else. Sometimes there's that mental idolatry that happens yeah. and the enemy yeah. can get us, get us, you know, and yeah. mentally we struggle with our will still trying to wiggle its way. Right. Yeah. The scripture says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you have to master it. You got to yeah. think it through. God, God said, I work it out with fear and, and sal- work your salvation out with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. So it's like, God's like, I gave you what you have. I know you, you're equipped mm-hmm. I, for every good work. Hello, everyone. Before we get back to the Inspirational Wow Show, I want to take a moment and talk about China Myers' best-selling, gripping, heartfelt book titled A Letter to God. You can find this true life story on Amazon. Now, back to the Wow Show. With, with that being said, my next question, we got to talk about mental illness. We just got to. We got to. So yeah. when I think about Paul talking about Ephesians, and we're talking about the armor of God. The first thing he mentions is that helmet of salvation, or at least that's how it reads in my mind. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loin belt of truth, shoes and peace, right? We have all these gorgeous things. And yet I think a lot of people, they, they, they don't realize it starts here first, that the devil yeah. is really trying to make paths within our mind. Yeah. And you know, you are a certified mental health coach amongst being a minister of music, a media director, a youth minister. I mean, you got all these things sort of going on. And do you feel like with the pandemic, we already were having like issues mentally, I think just people in general. 
and we are coping with it. Even before the pandemic, people struggle mentally. Whatever level that you're on, whatever's happening there, you have poor coping mechanisms, you have secure attachments, but maybe you know you have have another type of detachment. So the pandemic, do you feel like it it just made it worse. It intensified it. And now people are just on edge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what I'm sure happened with a lot of people is that the reality of life, it just kind of, people were forced to deal with themselves. And that can be very tricky if you've never done it. Um, some yeah. people, they live their lives on their phone. They live their lives through other people. They live their lives uh, just doing a whole bunch of things, except so they don't themselves. get to see themselves. Right. And the moment that that happened for a lot of people, it was culture shock. And they had no idea. They had no idea how to handle it because some people um, have habitually just kind of, I'm not going to deal with this part of me. I'm not going, I'm not even going to deal with that. My, my past is my past. I'm never going to deal with it. Whatever I got going on, whatever I don't like about myself, I'm going to mask it with a bunch of different things. But the pandemic, it stripped it all away. There was nothing to do but deal with you. And so based on that, it's been very, very tough um, for a lot of, for a lot of people. Do you, uh, what do you say to folks that are, they feel ashamed about what they're struggling with? They're, what do you say to them as far as ridding of that shame and getting help? How should they approach that? Yeah, it's a very good question. My um, my position is this. Shame, embarrassment and things like that, they require us to be more concerned about what people think mm. than us oh. being OK. Mm. I, I have to care how you feel about me more than I feel about myself. So the moment I can free myself of that, me being ashamed myself of what I did, that I can deal with. But me thinking that you're ashamed of me or you're embarrassed by something that I've done, that's a problem. Because first of all, I'm going to, it may or may not even be true, but even if it is, that doesn't help me. I can't get anywhere because I might, I might not be able to change your mind about me anyway. And here's the truth. It's not really my job to change your mind about me. I just got to be the best me I can. So when people are dealing with that kind of stuff, um, I just I just encourage them to ask, well, who's the most important person to you in this moment? <laughs> is it is it you getting better or is it what they think? That's how we that's how we usually approach it. What I tell my my children all the time is. It doesn't matter what people think about you. What matters is. Is what God thinks about you. Absolutely. That's what matters. Absolutely. You no. Know? But yeah, that was that was a good question. I, had to, I just had to get that one out because like I said, I tell my children that all the time. And as parents, we should tell our children that. Because I remember my my youngest son said to me the one time he goes, Mom, there's a lot of pressure in school. I said, What kind of pressure? Peer pressure. I said, Do you know that that's not real? That that's something that's made up? Like, ignore that because that's just as, you know, not real as snow on a summer day. You know, it's not real. So why do you believe something that's not real? But anyway, go ahead. No, that's beautiful. I, um, and, you know, sometimes we have to drill it down to the most simplest thing. I, people are complicated, complicated, so they make things complicated. And right. I just think we can just drill down to the core of it and Amen. simplify it. God's trying to simplify. He's trying to break images so that you can get to the real deal. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I, I wanted to just make a comment about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and leading into the next question. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, we know that you know he is out of control, to say the least. And um, and from there, you know, he sort of places himself as the God of all gods. He yields sometimes. Um, to what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are doing, of course, Daniel within the scripture as well. And we see him continue to fluctuate in and out of of being sober-minded and yielding really to the Lord. And then he comes to this point in his life that the prophet comes to him and says, this is what's going to happen, and if you don't change your ways. What we see in the text as things blossom, that he does not yield. 
He still continues to believe um, um, that he is the end all be all and that he doesn't need to yield to the almighty God. And he loses his mind. And I wanted to bring this up, especially just as a Christian, that, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, a, uh, a man that is double minded is unstable in all his ways. And Nebuchadnezzar is a clear indication of the, the instability, the instability that was happening. And when I say, when I think of that, talk to us, Riley, about just um, renewing one's mind. The Bible talks about that. Romans talks about that, that we must renew our mind. And I think it's really important, the power of Christ and his death on the cross, his substitutionary atonement. It's important to speak about that renewal of the mind as we, you know, as a protection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, people who are struggling. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the simple of it is this. Um, the way that we think of things is how it's going to be. So the problem, the, the, the problem that we face is we've thought of things a particular way for a long time. So right. the transformation comes from the renewal. In other words, unlearn and get rid of what you thought you knew. Realize you know anything at all. Yeah. Or, or realize for this new thing, I got to change my thinking. And that yeah. gets me into the transformation. The issue is that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do for so many people because um, there is there is very few things that are harder on people than thinking one way their whole lives and then being told you have to think of this a different way, yeah. even if it's killing you. This is yeah. the reason that uh, it's so hard for people to get out of toxic situations. This is why people are in uh, job situations. This is why their lives are going a certain way. And it's hard to change because it's hard to to change my my thinking. But we have to understand the, the, the sacred text has made it clear. If you change your thinking, you will change your life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's yes. the hindrance. So if we can do that. So how how do we do that? Right. How, how in the world is that supposed to happen? I have to acknowledge that the way that I'm functioning is simply not working. Or I have to acknowledge that what I am doing, it's counterproductive to where I want to go. Yeah. So I got to look around at my life and look at how I how I think about it. First, first thing I got to do, I have to do one of two things. I have to look at how I think of God. Or I have to think about how I'm looking at myself. Once I can alter that, once I can change that, that changes everything around me. Why? If I see God as some uh, mythical being that's so far off that I have no connection with, this is a problem. Because yeah. this is the reason I'm in the mess I'm in right now. I have no connection. How about it? I'm yeah. aware, but I have no connection. If I think about myself, a lot of people... Um, unfortunately, they wear their trauma as badges. This is the reason why I do what I do. This is where my strength comes from, from all the stuff I have gone through. Well, here's the problem. What do you call that? Victimism? um, That that word might apply, but some people just get so attached to and so used to their pain. They get so used to telling their story. They get so used to saying... I'm doing this because of that. It's just right. a part of the. It's a part of the thing. But because the, who they are. Yes. Yes. But the problem is that maintains a victim mentality. So I guess that word right. does apply. But that's not who I am. Right. That's not. That's not who I am for real. So I need to change that. My issues happened. That went on. My pain was legitimate. My gripes were legitimate. That's fine. But moving forward, I have to change that if I'm going to be. If I'm going to be better. So the, so the, the answer to the question is we have to just do it. We have to acknowledge it and then we have to just do it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Holy well, Spirit. We need God's help. We yeah. God's help. Yes. Holy Spirit can only supernaturally help you with something that you come into agreement with. That's aligned right. with the Lord. And I think that's a process of salvation, which is what you're speaking about. And it's also epistemology. You know, the mm-hmm. fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? What do you know? And if you say that you believe and you know, how are you applying it? So I, I appreciate you sort of really, again, unpacking that. 
And then um, last question um, for me is uh, talk about your book, My Time with God. What's going on with that? Well, um, thank you for that question. Um, my, my time with God was, um, it actually was written, well, I, I recorded, it, it's an audio book, and we went through that process about, um, about two and a half years ago. It was somewhere in 19. And the reason I did the audio version of it first is because uh, I wanted to, as a writer um, and as a musician, recording things and being able to hear things come back to me is a little bit easier for me as a writer. Um, the the idea of this particular book, um, it it's just my it's just sort of my my journey, my walk from religion to relationship. Um, my foundation was great. I'm not me without it. The problem with some of my foundation was there's a there was a lot of religion and not a whole lot of relationship. the The truth is, as many churches as I had gone to. And as many church experiences that I um, had had, the truth is, a lot of times I never saw God there. Mm. As many sermons as I'd heard, as many Bible studies that I'd been been to, I'd, I had never had a real encounter with God. And the reason that I went on and released uh, the book, uh, which can be found at RileyBaxterIII.com, it's on the music page. Um, the reason that I wanted to go ahead and release it and all that is because it's important to me that other believers know. If you find yourself in a church or you find yourself amongst some other believers and that encounter doesn't happen for you, doesn't mean you're being left out of the. It doesn't mean you're being left out of it. All it means is sometimes God may be doing something else at a different time. All it, all it means is that your path might be a little bit different because everything about my journey gets me to where I'm at right now. And so it's okay to seek the truth. It's a problem when you tell people that you want to seek the truth because the truth may not be what the system says it wants to do. Understand that if you're going to walk this walk, there's a difference between um, knowing the name God and actually knowing who he is. So the reason we wrote this is because I want the mental health of the believer is important to me, which means you got you have a right to know that there are some flaws in the systems that we've that we've uh, that we've enjoyed all this time. You have the right to know that uh, your relationship is your relationship. It's a personal situation, which most likely is not going to look like anybody else's. So please understand that difference does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means your relationship is different. So um, uh, uh, three of my four sisters, we all share the same mom. But the relationship is different because we know we know her in different ways. I know God. A, a friend of mine asked me years ago, why do I refer to God as the most high rather than just calling him God? Great question. It's because that's how I know him. I know him as a healer. I don't need faith for that because I know that because that's the experience. Uh, that's the experience that I had. So this particular book is simply to just uh, just to sort of share some of my ramblings and share some of my thoughts and helpfully, I mean, hopefully to help some people to understand it. There's no pressure with this relationship, y'all. There's there's no pressure with this. This should not be a stressful situation. Amen. Thank you yeah. for that. Your book sounds wonderful. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked for us. Right. And oh. I think when I think about that text, when we think about racing, we think about competitiveness. We think about 10,000 people running and who's going to get to the finish line. But this scripture speaks differently. There's a race marked out for you, which is what you're saying. And that you don't need to compare that with anyone else because the race is not a race in, in the fact that we know it naturally. But the Lord is saying, I remember Holy Spirit said to me, if you will, I will. You'll take a step. I'll take a step. If you want to apply for that job, I'll apply with you. And I think I love that's to me the essence and that feeling and that gorgeousness of your book, really letting people know 
it might just be a different way that God is taking you. It doesn't mean it's the wrong way. It's just a way that hasn't been seen by others before. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I always tell people, I walk on a different path. You will never understand me because Mm -hmm. how I do things are totally different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I say that because of my walk, you know, with God and our relationship that we have. I fear nothing, okay? I am inhibited by nothing. You know, I feel like I can, I'm not a brain surgeon, but guess what? I feel like I could do brain surgery, okay? Amen. It doesn't matter what it is. I know that God is beside me and in me, and and he makes it possible for anything I want to do. So I do tell people all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I walk on a different path, you know? Never tell me what I can and cannot do because I walk on a different path. And that path is with God, you know? So thank you for your answer. I almost came to tears there for a second. Your book, like I said, sounds incredible. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. I think we just need to add one little disclaimer, and I'm just going to say this. You could be listening to this podcast, and you're listening, and you know, you know that the Lord is taking you maybe a way that you don't have someone mentoring you in that. But yeah. keep in mind, you know, in Christ, there's still nothing new under the sun. You know, it all has to still be, you know, uh, biblically sound. The Lord is never going to detour off of his word. So I know sometimes with people that are saying, I'm unique, I'm, I'm odd, I'm this, I'm, I'm, I'm that. But just keep in mind, you know, keep it rooted in the word he's never going to go off of that even if it's a different path yeah amen yeah you have done a lot of good stuff you are definitely a servant you know um and and god has blessed you it seems like god has really blessed you you know and that is great but for all the people out there that haven't been blessed you know, um, I think you're giving them hope today. I think you're um, inspiring them where they can um, see where they are, you know, in their walk, in their journey, um, in their life. You know, because sometimes, like you said, we have to look at our lives and see what's wrong. And then we can change it. You know, I like to look in. Um, I keep saying I, 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 but it's like. I'm trying to let people know because my life hasn't been easy. But if you look in the mirror every day and you see, you know, what's going on, who you are, who you've become, you know, you have the opportunity to change that. When you wake up, God has given you an an opportunity to change that, you know. Um, So it's a good thing to see where you are and to look in the mirror. And if you're having mental, you know, problems, get help because... There's always somebody that can help you. Um, that's why I like to talk to people a lot, you know. Um, my sister said to me one time, what are you talking to that lady for? You don't know her. Well, it looked like she needed yeah. to be talked to, you know. She went into depth, you know, some stuff that was going on with her. But sometimes we just need to talk and 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 talk it out and, and you know, get answers, you know. So um, thank you for all that you do, like I said. And um, I had one more question for you, though. Have you noticed that there's a lot more mental illness going on? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Particularly in the body of Christ. The world has no interest in us being mentally healthy. Mm. None none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that a lot of times, uh, unfortunately, churches function. Uh, based on business mentalities, based on just work in general, it's not designed for people's mental well-being. Mm. So um, as a result of that, there are pastors that are just losing it because they're carrying so much weight and don't know how to process it, not being encouraged to talk to people. There are uh, people who are believers, love God. They want to do whatever God said. But they don't they're not enjoying the journey because of the all, all of the mental strains. Right. But this life is this life has nothing to do with that. 
it's a it's a tragedy because if Jesus himself says that take my yoke upon you, because it's easy. Yes. So if I have that yoke, why is my life so hard? That doesn't make any sense. So what, what we're seeing um, a lot is there's a lot of people just under so much pressure, under so much stress that they are literally snapping uh, because they don't know how to process this stuff. They don't know how to take the pressures off. Nobody's telling them exactly how or the avenues are being made hard. Uh, one of the first things I found out is how expensive it can be for people to go and seek help. Um, this is one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, because um, people need someone to talk to. They need somebody to unload some things. Yeah. They need people to help them process this stuff. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they don't have the resources to do that. It's like when we tell people to eat healthier. But the junk food costs less than the vegetables. Yeah. It's one of them kind of situations. And so right. that's why we're doing what we're doing. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's beautiful. And, you know, the, the scripture that you said, take of my yoke. And he says, learn from me, which which is exactly what you're saying. Learn, learn from him. But mm -hmm. it's, you're right. I think people don't know how. They just don't know how. And it's like we say, I think, in especially in Christian circles, we have these cliches that we just throw out there. I mean, I know this sounds silly. You're probably going to laugh. But when I first came to Christ and people say, when you're having a problem, go to the cross. I was like, go into a church and just stand at a cross? Like, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds yeah, silly. no idea. Like, right. No one's breaking it down. And these are these first principles. People are on fire for the Lord. They're feeling that, the, you know, that, that the power of the Holy Spirit swell up, but they don't know where to take all that, how to process it, how to cope and, and what the next steps are. Literally, you need someone to say, put your foot here. And as you're, you know, doing Riley, really unpacking what these things mean and what it means in a practical sense. Like you said, you know, something as simple as eat healthy. What a great example. And yet going to McDonald's, it's so much cheaper than yeah. going to Whole Foods. It's, yeah. you know, we find things are out of our reach. And right. yet, like you said, why, why are we struggling? Is it supposed to be like this? Is it, you know, and no one's really breaking that down. So great. I think these are all great examples for people to really chew on that and think about that. Oh, I, I was just going to say, uh, all we want is for people to be okay. All we want is for people to, uh, we just want people all right. And so what's required of that is that we let people know life is not, there is some suffering that goes along with this life that, that, that there's nothing we can do about. There's no reason to add the stuff that we can fix. Mm. No reason right. at all. And if there's too much of a problem, give it to God. His shoulders are much bigger. Yes. You know, and Amen. that is so easy to do. You know, he, I mean, what does he say? He says, he says, cast all your anxiety on me. Why? So simple. Because I care for you. So simple. So simple. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Riley, what's next for you? What's next for you? What can we expect yeah. from you? That's a good question. Well, uh, first thing we're doing, um, the church, we're, we're, uh, we're producing um, our first church album. We're working on that. The single will be released uh, November the 7th. Uh, we're working on that. Um, we're also working That's around on, the corner. Um, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're actually, um, we had a mental health awareness community meeting yesterday with some mental health professionals. Um, and so out of that meeting, we're putting together a, um, I don't know if we're doing four or six weeks uh, of course, just helping people to understand the difference between mental health versus mental illness and just kind of understand. I'm, I'm tired of people being ashamed when the words mental health shows up because it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you want to be healthy. If you go to a gym, you take care of your body, got to take care of your mind too. That's all that means. And so working all that stuff, January is when we're going to start those classes. Um, and so we're, we're working on a lot of stuff, a lot going on. How do people get a hold of you if they want to get your book and, and maybe contact you, ask you some questions? How would people um, get a hold of you? Uh, very simple. My website is RileyBaxterIII.com. Uh, my email address is rbaxter, R-B-A-X-T-E-R-I-I-I at yahoo.com. And that and the website has everything. There's music on there. There's um, the book is on there. What we're doing is on there. 
and also the church, uh, our church's website uh, is um, livingwatertemplechurch.org, and everything we do is there, livingwatertemplechurch.org. Well, I applaud you, and I am very grateful for you. I can tell that you are a blessing in a lot of people's lives. I said this before, but God bless you, because um, people like you, I think, change the world, you know? And that's what we all have to do as human beings, uh, from one person to another. We have to try to change the world and help people and do what we can for our human brothers and sisters. So thank you. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for being so gracious. Did you have to say anything else, um, Deborah? No, but just what a pleasure it was meeting you, learning about your journey and how you've arrived at this place. May the Lord bless you and absolutely keep you, your family, uh, and your ministry. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yo, that was another great show. Big shout out to my girl Deborah for co-hosting with me. You are the best, my sister in Christ. God is always sending like-minded people my way. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And thanks to all my listeners out there. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. And I want to say thank you. I was lost and you found me. I was dead inside and you breathed into me. And you brought these bones alive. I want to say thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally, God. You stood with open arms.